0: So God instructs us in His Word to min- use our voices, our words, to minister to others, to serve others, to encourage others. Now, folks, I'm just like everybody else. I get aggravated. I, do, I know. I know you think I'm sweet all the time, but sometimes I'm just not pleasant to be around because I get aggravated, just like other people do. I get frustrated, times of aggravation and frustration. And, and it's very easy for us to, to use our voices to condemn instead of to minister and uplift. Uh, there's nothing wrong with expressing ourselves when, thing, when, we're, uh, when we don't like something, when things are not just what we think they ought to be. God gave us minds and opinions but often how we express ourselves is even more important than what we're expressing. And so we need to watch our words. I think if, we could, if I could give you one in a nutshell. What do I want you to do you know, with this message today? Uh, if I, I try to ask myself when, I'm complete, when I complete a message and I spend time with God, so what? So what? What's, what do I want? What am I trying to convey, what, what do I want myself and others to do with, with what, I've, what God has given to me today? And I think that we need to just watch what we say and do. We need, to, we need to pay attention to our own selves. I mean, we're quick to pay attention to what other people are doing, aren't we? But we need to pay attention to what we are doing because you see, we're living in such a vile culture where people are saying things without even considering the impact of them. Yeah, I've been around people, and I know you have too, who use vulgar words interspersed throughout their sentences without even thinking about what they're saying. It's ridiculous. It's evil. If your speech is profane, corrupt, ugly, it's because... The profane, corrupt, evil, ugly devil is controlling that speech. He's controlling your mind. Now, today, Satan is waging war on the minds of people. And he's winning because he has gained control of such powerful institutions as the media and Hollywood and even a lot of the education system. I believe the battle for the minds of America's children is the greatest battle we have ever faced. Our children today are at risk, not just when they leave the house, but when they turn on the TV, radio, or Internet, when they hold their electronic devices In their hands, they're holding a bank of powerful words ready to be implanted in their minds. Words which can either direct them in a good path or destroy them. Now, Satan knows that if a child hears something enough times, even if it is not true, he will start believing it. So Satan's bank is filled with lies and corrupt words. Words are powerful. They have the power to bring about good and evil. They have the power to heal or kill. They, the impact of our words depends upon the power behind those words. And that's what we see in the next study of Paul's life. How his words of grace Transformed lives, not because they were his words, but because they were empowered by an amazing God of a transforming grace. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 19. And I hope you have your Bibles, electronic Bibles or paper copies, whatever you like. But take a look and allow the Holy Spirit to not only let you hear my words but, and hear it read, but, but to look at it. And allow it to, to transform your life. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me as, as I read the word here this morning and allow, and allow God uh, to speak to us uh, through it. Uh, beginning in verse 1 of uh, Acts chapter 19, transforming grace. Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Do you re- "'Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?' And that's a good question. "'Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?' And they, so they said to him, "'We have not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit.' And he said to them, "'Into what then were you baptized?' And they said, into John's baptism, John the Baptist, John the baptizer. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Well, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them... The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, they spoke evil of the way. That's what they called Christianity in the early days, the way. And we and Christians were people of the way. So when some spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. I'm going to stop with that for a moment. We'll look at... Verses one through twenty today. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for your Word and that we could just read it. We want I want to read it aloud so that we can all hear it and allow your Holy Spirit to speak privately to each one of our minds, Lord. Uh, I just pray, God, that we would just be today, just like uh, uh, just open and willing to take what you show us and allow it to change our lives, Lord. There are some godly people in this room, but perhaps there's an area of their lives that need to be transformed. So, God, I pray, take every part of us today. I pray that we'll be thinking, allowing you to speak to us so that we might examine ourselves. And, and Lord, if there's anything that needs adjusting, anything that needs transforming, we know you can do it because your grace is transforming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated transforming grace and i've entitled this word power now in acts 19 we see paul's third missionary journey you know he went on these three journeys around asia minor in that part of the world into in what is today the modern turkey in that area that's where christianity began to spread when it left jerusalem and the third missionary journey was primary, focused primarily in the, in, in the city of Ephesus. Now Acts 18.23 begins this third journey as Paul leaves Antioch to revisit and encourage those new Christians he had met on the second journey. Look, with, I've got it on the screen for you. And when Paul had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch, that's the end of the second journey, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. That's the beginning of the third missionary journey. Now, from Phrygia, the most likely route to Ephesus would have taken Paul through the Lycus Valley, where Paul would have passed through. And you don't have to really see this on a map, but just listen to these, the names of these cities where he passed through when he left going to Ephesus. The, the cities of Colossae. Paul wrote a letter to the, the Christians in Colossae. What do we call it? Colossians, it's in the New Testament. So Paul passed through Colossae. He passed through Laodicea. He passed through Hierapolis. Laodicea is mentioned in the book of the Revelation. Okay. So Paul, on his way to Ephesus, is passing through these cities. But Luke, when Luke recorded his, Paul's trip through these cities, he didn't, he didn't even mention Paul stopping at any of them and doing any work there. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us that the church may not have been formed in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis at that time when Paul was going to Ephesus. However, when Paul wrote his, book, his letter to the Colossians, he mentioned a man named epaphras and epaphras was was a, a devoted follower of jesus and paul mentioned that epaphras may have been the one who planted the church who started who started the christian church in colossi and probably in laodicea and hierapolis and that may very well have happened while paul was ministering in Ephesus, So Ephesus was kind of a base of operations for the spread of Christianity throughout that region. And that's very important because as it spread throughout Asia Minor, through that region of, of modern day Turkey, then it would begin to spread into Europe and other places and most of, most of us have uh, European ancestors, and so this is how the gospel began to spread. It, Paul stayed in Ephesus for several years. Ephesus was a very old and important city. In ancient times, the area between the Black Sea and Mediterranean Sea, known as Anatolia and later Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, was settled by the Hittites as early as 2000 BC, almost the time of, of Abraham. The Hittites fell to the Assyrians in the 12th century BC, and in 1044 BC, the region was conquered by the the Ionian Greeks. Now, the Anatolian people, those ancient people, they had a goddess of life, fertility, and nature. They called her Sibylle when the Greeks conquered the area, they changed the name of that goddess to Artemis, and they built a temple that was one of the most, one, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so beautiful. When the Greeks conquered, they changed it to Artemis, and then later, when the Romans acquired Ephesus in one twenty nine BC, they changed the name of the temple in honor of their goddess of fertility, Diana. Now, so the temple of Artemis, or the temple of Diana, was in Ephesus, and Paul would have seen that. Besides seeing the magnificent temple to Diana or Artemis, if Ephesus had a stadium and a theater, Paul would have seen it. It could seat 24,000 people. There's still some ruins of these things in Ephesus in that area today. The main street, which led from the theater to the harbor, was 35 feet wide and lined with colonnades which were lined up like 15 feet deep and shops were behind those colonnades. So Ephesus was a beautiful city and the main commercial city of Asia located on the main highway connecting the trade routes of the east with the rest of the world. It was here that Paul completed his missionary endeavor using Ephesus as a base for reaching out with the gospel to the rest of the world. This is what we see when we open chapter 19. Look with me, verses 1 through 3. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. When Paul arrived at Ephesus, he met twelve men who had been baptized by John the Baptist, but who had not known anything beyond what John the Baptist taught. Now, remember this. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the New Testament prophets. He was the last prophet of the Old Covenant and the first prophet of the New Covenant. Those who followed John the Baptist heard a message of repentance. John the Baptist came on the scene wearing some hairy, you know, some camel hair. And I mean, he looked like an Old Testament prophet. Just in your mind, I mean, you know, he's got all this these, the, he's wearing all this camel, this ha- these hairy garments, you know. Looked like an old trapper or something. He come, you know, a big old leather belt. And he come and he began to yell and scream, Repent! 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 He was old, like an Old Testament prophet. I mean, and that's what people heard. And that was his primary message. Repent! Repent of your sins. And he baptized people in the water... As a sign of their repentance. So, while he's baptizing them, they're confessing their sins, you know. And so, John the Baptist had the message of repentance. A very important message of repentance. But that was only half of it. Remember when John was preaching, Jesus was just coming on the scene. It would be at the end of John's earthly life, before he was beheaded, he would see Jesus. And he would say, there's the man. There's the Messiah, the Lamb of God. But he was at the end of his life. So he baptized a whole lot of people that that, that didn't hear about Jesus. Yet this is what John said. John was preaching a message of repentance, looking forward to the coming Messiah or Savior. And in Matthew 3.11, look at what John said. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now now these men at Ephesus, in 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 which Paul encountered here, which Paul encountered, these men at Ephesus had repented of their old covenant sins. The Old Testament is a book of rules. It's also a book of redemption looking forward to the coming Savior, but it's a book of rules, and the Old Covenant has all these rules And John was saying repent of breaking those rules. The men of Ephesus had repented. Repent means to turn away. It means to turn your back on something. Uh, 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 Repentance metanoia in Greek means to change the mind, completely change the mind. So, so, So John was telling them change your mind and your direction as it pertains to sin. Get rid of that sin in your life. And so the men of Ephesus had gotten rid of the sin. They had repented of their sins, but they had not received the cleansing that comes with faith in Jesus. So they had turned their back on their sin, but they hadn't been washed clean because they had not received the spirit of the New Testament Christ. The water in this pool doesn't wash away anybody's sins. But the Holy Spirit immersing us With the grace of God, that's what washes away our sins and transforms our lives. That's what they were missing. So Paul told them the story of Jesus. He told them how Jesus, God in the flesh, the Jewish Messiah, had given his own life and shed his divine blood as a sacrifice for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again so that we could be forgiven and granted his eternal life and presence. Those men were ready to hear the complete story of God's salvation. And they gladly, when they heard it, they gladly received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Verses 4 and 5. Then Paul said to them, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus. Messiah is the anointed one, the Savior that was coming to to the Jewish nation. Their their long awaited Savior. So that is Christ is Christus. That is the Greek word for Messiah in Messiah in Hebrew. So, so, So Paul said to these men, John was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so John was saying to the people, Or that there is a baptism of repentance, you're repenting of your sins, but you still need to put your faith in the coming Messiah, Christ Jesus. Those men had not heard about Jesus yet. So when they heard the story of Jesus, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, baptized in water as J.J. was baptized today. Folks, if you accept Jesus as your Savior and He comes into your life and He transforms your life, guess what? The next step... Is the waters of baptism. Not because those waters take away your sins, but because those waters are your first real testimony that you're a born again, transformed believer. That's what the baptism waters are for. We go under the water. I have died to who I was, and now I'm a new person because Jesus has transformed my life. We're buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk. In unison of life. And that's what these men did. When they accepted Jesus as their Savior, they were ready. They wanted to be baptized, and they were baptized in the name, not of John's repentance, but in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had been, but these men had been baptized by John repenting of their sins, but what they needed was to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. There's a difference. A person can feel guilty about his sin and want to be baptized in water as a sign he is sorry for his wrongdoing, yet still not be willing to completely turn his life over to the Lord Jesus. Cleaning up your life is not the same as being saved and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Being immersed in water is not life-changing. Folks, it's refreshing, but it is not renewing. The Holy Spirit is what renews us, spiritually revives us. And He only revives us when we have put and renews us when we have put our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we confess Jesus, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, and confess him as Lord of our lives, then the Holy Spirit immerses us in the resurrection power of Jesus, and he takes control of us. He takes control of our hearts, our minds, our desires, and our words. And this is what happened when Paul shared the gospel at Ephesus, and 12 men accepted Jesus verses 6 and 7 and when Paul had laid hands upon them the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied now the men were about 12 in all oh what a difference the Lord Jesus makes when his spirit came into the lives of these 12 believers their speech changed The Holy Spirit gave a demonstration of His power as He put a new language in their mouths and gave them a new message, the message of salvation in the name of Jesus. As I said, the impact of our words is the power of is in the power that controls them and these words from these men originated with the holy spirit who can change not only our language but change our lives folks listen do you know anybody whose language needs to change today do you know anybody in this world that needs for the holy spirit To change their language. Well guess what? I see it almost every day. Don't you? Almost every day. They need a new language. Not a corrupt. Evil. Filthy language. They need a new language. God used Paul's words. To save 12 souls. And then he used the words of these 12 men to glorify their new Savior. But the Lord was just getting started down here in Ephesus. We see in verse verse 8. And Paul went into the synagogue, Jewish synagogue, and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Well... When Paul talked about the kingdom of God Paul was talking about the coming of the king. He was talking about how the king has come and king Jesus and how the king laid down his life and died for our sins and rose from the dead and how he's, he will save us now and one day he's going to come again into clouds of glory and return to this earth who crucified him. God used Paul to share the gospel privately and 12 men were saved. God used Paul to share the gospel publicly in the synagogue proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come to earth in the person of Jesus the Messiah. And what happened? Well, we'll see in a moment. Paul's words, empowered by the Holy Spirit, brought life to the 12 who believed. But those in the Ephesian synagogue, the Jews... They should have been rejoicing. They should have been the most exuberant of all people that the Messiah had come. They'd been praying for His, for his coming for you know, a th- over a thousand years. But notice what happened here, verses 9 and 10. But when some of those Jews in the synagogue were hardened, maybe some Gentiles in there too, I don't know. But when some were hardened... And did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. Paul departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. a a local school. Paul, Paul, Jesus took over a school. I pray that for our Calvary Christian school. Jesus, take over this school. It's your school. We're going to tell children every day about Jesus. Every day here at Calvary Christian School. And there's going to be a lot of lost students that need Jesus here. We're going to reach them as best we can with the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, don't just take over this school. Take over all schools. Take over schools. We ought to be praying. If your student's in a school, you ought to be praying for that school. Lord Jesus, take over that school. Paul took over school. shared Jesus, the school of Tyrannus and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. <laughs> From a school, the word spread. The word spread and people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, what good news. What, what, let me ask you something, what, what greater news could we share with our children than that? Jesus loves them. And wants to save them. It's the greatest news of all. Some believed and some rejected the way. Words rejected these people in Ephesus. Some believed and glorified Jesus that had new language. Others began to oppose and ridicule and condemn and speak evil of the way. Words separate these people in Ephesus. On the one hand, there was Paul and the new believers proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Their words brought out the other side. Unbelievers using their voices for Satan, speaking evil of the way. Again, listen to the voices. For they reveal the power that is behind them. Voices that hurt or heal. Voices that save or condemn. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34 and 37, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Would you all just read this with me and let's let it sink in. You ready? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So what do you think? Are words important? Jesus said they are. Jesus said we'll be judged by our words because our words reveal who controls us. We're either controlled by Satan and self, a selfish, sinful nature, or else we are controlled by the Savior and His Holy Spirit. When we hear language that is filthy, that is in opposition to the Word of God, that exalts people, exalts self, and exalts evil in this world, those words come from hearts that are empowered by Satan. But when we hear words that help, words that heal, words that offer forgiveness... Words that point others to the one true way. Words of purity that exalt the holy Jesus. These are words that come from the Spirit of God. Paul wrote in Colossians 3, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice what Paul said here. If we are using our words and the Word of God to encourage one another, if we are worshiping the Lord in our hearts with words and songs of praise, if we are using our words to express Love and gratitude to God for Jesus and His great salvation. If we are using our words to lift up the name of Jesus before others, then the evidence is there. It's it's clear that God's Word and God's Holy Spirit are powerfully living in us and through us. But the flip side is also true. If our words are not exalting Christ, if our words are embarrassing to Christ, if our words are not filled with the grace of Christ, then our words are flowing from a heart that is controlled by Satan. Just listen to the words, folks. Think about your words. Examine your speech. Listen to what the word, the Scriptures tell us. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart... Let's just read some verses together. Ready? Let's go. The heart of the righteous... Studies how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours evil Next James if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue But deceives his own heart this one's religion is useless How about that? but they go to a church I go to a church I go to a church uh, nearly every week I try to go to a church and yet my mouth on my work site is vulgar are you kidding me how can a fountain of water you ever seen fountains of water how can a fountain send forth lemonade and arsenic at the same time it can't it's, it can't be you can't have sweet and sour coming out of the same stream of a fountain. It just doesn't work that way. It changes it. It doesn't make sense. And folks, our words are powerful, and they reveal who is in control of our hearts and minds. Does your speech please Jesus? Or would you be ashamed for Jesus to hear how you speak? King David prayed this prayer. Let's pray. Let's look at it as our prayer. Ready? Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. When you're alone, when no one hears what you say but you and God, what does God hear? David was not afraid for God to examine his heart, his mind, and his words. And he prayed that his words would be acceptable to God. Perhaps you and I ought to memorize this prayer. And every day before we leave the house, may we pray, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable today in your sight. Think about the words you've said this past week. What percentage of your words were acceptable to God? 50%? 100%? 10%? Only you can answer that question. What if Jesus were standing right beside you? Every moment of your day, would there be anything that you did not want Him to hear coming out of your mouth? If you're a Christian... Jesus is with you, and he hears what you say. Do your words show evidence that you are a Christian, or do your words reveal something different? Well, with Paul, his words changed lives because they were backed up by the power of the Holy Spirit who lived within him. That's the last part of this chapter we look at. They look at verses 11 and 12. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. The power of the Lord to save people is the same power that can heal people. God does not help or heal in the same way for everyone because God's a personal God. He is personally involved in our unique lives and circumstances. God has healed me of diseases A whole lot of times, but how he did it, it's always been up to him. He's done it in different ways. I've never been healed from a handkerchief that belonged to someone. But if God wanted to use a piece of cloth to heal me, he could. But again, I have never met anyone like Paul, really. His faith was extraordinary. And God did extraordinary things with him to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. What we should remember is that the pieces of cloth—you understand—they were taking pieces of his garments and they were giving them out to people. And those, when people touch those little pieces of cloth, touched their bodies, they were healed and demons were fleeing from those little pieces of cloth. Well, what we need to remember is that those pieces of cloth were just pieces of cloth, just as Paul's words were only verbal communications. What brought the salvation? What brought the healing? What what caused the demons to flee was the power that was within Paul... The power of the Holy Spirit in that pagan land where people erected a huge temple to the false goddess Diana. The power of the one true and living God was being revealed through Paul and lives were being changed by it. God was not only revealing himself, he was revealing that Paul was a true and faithful apostle of Jesus Christ. Everyone was coming to realize just how much Paul loved Jesus. They were coming to realize just how much Paul was a faithful Servant of Jesus Christ. God wanted Paul's faith to be known. Just like God wants your faith to be known. And my faith to be known. God wants you to be known as his faithful servant and his loved child. And that's why what you say and what you do are important. But there were some in Ephesus who did not have real faith in Jesus. But they wanted the power. They wanted the prestige and power that God was demonstrating through Paul. Let's look at verse 13 just a minute. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And also there were the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. That's interesting, isn't it? Did you notice that these men, they were saying the right things, yeah. They were trying to cast demons from people in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preached. Sounds pretty good. But it didn't turn out too good for them. Look at verse 15, 16. I like this passage here. Well, the evil spirit, verse 15, answered and said to these seven sons of Sceva, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, beat up seven guys. I mean, just so that they fled out of their house naked and wounded. This one man empowered by the devil who's greater than anybody, any human flesh. I mean, these demons are so much powerful than human beings. And this man possessed with evil spirit... He jumped on seven of these other men and almost killed them, and they ran out of the house, tore their clothes off of them, and they ran out of the house wounded and bleeding and naked. Now, this is what happens. see, they, they didn't have the power. They had the name, they had the words, but they didn't have the power. Why could a piece of Paul's clothing cause a demon to flee, but seven men, sons of a Jewish priest, could not cast out the name, a demon in the name of Jesus? Because they didn't have the power. Paul had the power of Jesus that was working in him and through him. These sons of Sceva did not have that power. They wanted but they didn't have it. They wanted to manipulate the power of Jesus by invoking his name, but that didn't work. Friends, we cannot make God do anything we will never be able to manipulate God for our purposes. And if we try, the result will always be the same. We will fall. I'm not real. If I'm not real with my faith, if I don't really love Jesus with all my heart, then my words and my actions will reveal that lack of true faith. And even if I could somehow fool people, the Lord knows and the demons know. And the demons on that day revealed the powerlessness of those sons of Sceva. They had the name of Jesus in their mouths, but they did not have the spirit of Jesus in control of their hearts and lives, and that demon, just he just almost killed them. Friends, Satan will always overpower you unless the Holy Spirit of Christ is living within you and empowering you. We're no match for the power of demons. They're much stronger than we are. We cannot battle spiritual things in the flesh. We need spiritual help, spiritual power, And the Spirit of God is the help that we need to overcome every enemy. But we cannot pretend to have the Holy Spirit in charge and then live as we please. We cannot have a filthy mouth and a pure heart at the same time. We cannot live under our own control and expect God's power at our disposal. It just doesn't work that way. If we want the Lord to exercise His power in us and through us, we must be willing to give Him everything, every thought, every action, every word. Paul said... Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, or uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, Paul said that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit... To be empowered by the Spirit, we have to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. When we're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, people know it. They know it when we are, and they know it when we are not. Now, we might fool them for a little while, but eventually the realness of our faith stands out as does the absence of it. People know because the power of God is not something that can be hidden. The power of God transforms our lives. And that's what happened in Ephesus. After the sons of Sceva were exposed as frauds, and Paul was revealed as a man of God, Luke wrote these final words, verse 17. This became known. What happened to those frauds? This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's the point. That's why everything at Ephesus was happening the way it was with Paul. So that the word of the Lord could grow and prevail and conquer Satan and his evil and unbelief. Just remember this. For God, it's all about redemption. God will do anything to redeem a lost soul. That's why Jesus gave up his life and shed his blood and suffered the way he did. And God can use anyone. He can empower anyone who will put their faith and trust in Him. Who will yield their heart and mind and hands and mouth to Him. God can use anyone to redeem a lost soul. But God wants to use those who are most faithful to Him. And that's why He used Paul in such a mighty way. Because Paul was a man whose words mattered to him, and he was willing for God to do anything with him that would glorify Jesus. That's our grace principle today. Would you read it with me? The more we walk in step with the Spirit of God, the more we experience His power, and the more Jesus is exalted in our words and actions. So how about you? How do people know that you're a true man or woman of faith? Can they see it in you? And what you say and what you do? Can they see your faith? Is God doing extraordinary things in your life? Is he using you to set people free? Or are you a fraud? I read a little story. Powerful story. Linda Down discovered real power when she needed it. And she needed it because she had dealt with the limitations of cerebral palsy all her life. One day, she got this crazy idea of running in the New York Marathon, but Linda couldn't even walk easily. She she had to wear those braces on her arms with clamps to steady her arms so she could even struggle to walk. And on top of this, she was 25 pounds overweight and jobless, in a state of depression. She was reading the scriptures, sought God in the scriptures about the power of God at work in people's lives. And she read Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So she went into training. And while training, she listened for God. She thought as she was running in the dark at night, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction about things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. She thought about her limited dreams, her inability to see beyond the obstacles of life. Faith, she said to herself, was running in spite of the insurmountable obstacles. As the New York Marathon began that cold morning, she was there. She wore gloves on her hands to soften the impact of the crutches, It was windy on the bridge and uphill. She had not expected the beginning to be so difficult. As she finished the mile-long Verrazano Narrows Bridge, there were no runners in sight ahead of her. They had gone on. Spectators were gone for the most part. But one little girl ran out into the street and cheered her on, you can do it. Others on the curb later applauded and cheered and shouted. That brought tears to Linda's eyes. Those spectators helped her to keep going. By cheering her on, 10 hours later, Linda was still running in the dark through dangerous neighborhoods. Some admiring spectators walked with her for safety. Then an ABC TV camera crew showed up and followed the story of her courage. She continued to run. She wore a hole in one of her sneakers from dragging it, dragging it across the ground. Her hands ached and throbbed. Her arms became black and blue and swollen. She couldn't speak to anyone because of the fatigue, but she continued to run because she prayed Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then two parks and recreation trucks in Central Park in the dark came up behind her and stayed with her to light the way. After 11 hours of dragging and struggling over 27 miles, Linda with cerebral palsy crossed the finish line. People were crying, and Linda was crying at the response and support she had received from God and these people. She thanked God for the power to do such a miraculous thing, and she let others know about, her, about the God that got her through. Later, she was invited to the White House, and pictured on the front page of the New York Times, her story was not just a story of effort. It was a story of the power of God, And what He can do in our life when we give it to Him. Would you bow with me? Have you given your life to Jesus? Now if you have, that includes your words too. Your mouth, your feet, your hands, your arms, your eyes and ears. Your heart, your mind. Have you given Jesus that much of you? What do people see when they look at you? Do they see the power of God that enables you to overcome difficulties in your life? Do they see a committed Christ follower? Someone who's willing to follow Jesus no matter what. When they hear you speak, are they hearing what a Christian really sounds like? Maybe today you need to give Jesus part of you or all of you. Maybe you need to pray and open your heart to him and and let him have control. Maybe you need to say and mean it with all your heart. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry that I have not surrendered my whole life to you. Today I confess That I believe in you. I believe in your power. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And I need you, Jesus. I need you every day, every moment of the day. I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. I ask you to take control of me. I pray that you will be the power... Behind my words and my actions. And I pray that you'll use me. Like you used Paul. To help others hear the good news. And follow you. I want to be real Jesus. I want to be a real Christian. I want my family and my friends to see it. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior and my Lord. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you need to just start putting some legs to that, and you need to live like it. And you need to pay attention to what you say and do this week. And you need to ask God to give you an opportunity to say something for Him. Maybe a God bless you, or maybe pray for somebody, or or share with them your testimony. Maybe you've got a testimony like Linda had of how God brought you through something. Ask God for an opportunity to share it. When we're singing, I'll be at the front if you'd like for me just to pray for you. The cameras will be off, and I'll pray for you while I'm standing here. Whatever you need, I want to help you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word. Your Holy Spirit has taught us something today. I pray that we will take what we've learned We'll give ourselves to you. And this week will be a new week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus.